Blog Talk Radio. Quiet, please. Welcome to Rex Sykes Movie Beat, conversations with filmmakers where we discuss everything film and television. Here on Movie Beat, you'll learn what to do and what not to do when it comes to making movies and TV. We will talk to everyone behind the scenes and in front of the camera, and I will provide you with guests and information you're going to want to have, whether you're a filmmaker or a fan. And so now let's move behind the scenes at Movie Beat. First, all my Listeners, thanks and welcome back to another show. We got a, uh, an outstanding guest today, and we'll get into into who that is in just a moment. But I want to thank you for spreading uh, word about Movie Beat to your friends and industry connections, and on uh, Facebook or MySpace and Twitter. Feel free to continue to do so. That's how the show grows. And thanks so much for your uh, phone calls, your emails, your feedback, and your support. Keep in mind that the official website is at www rexsykes.com that's r-e-x-s-i-k-e-s.com that's the official movie beat site and movie beat is really designed to be a resource for you and that's why i connect you up with professionals who are making it happen and in order for you to stay up to date you can subscribe to movie beat at the official site by clicking on the rss feed on the welcome page and that way you're always going to be updated to changes at the website upcoming interviews uh, the interviews that are archived cast and crew information, upcoming events, premieres, festivals, local and elsewhere. So be sure you you subscribe at the welcome page at rexsikes.com. Now, if you're listening to an archive show on uh, rexsikes.com, keep in mind that there are other great interviews to listen to, so be sure to check them out at the interview page. Um, You go to rexsikes.com, click the interview page, go to the archives. You just scroll through that page, go down to the bottom where it says archives, and look up the the show by the name of the guest or the title of the show, and uh, and then go into that website page and click on the bolded link that says uh, you can listen to this interview now or Rex Sykes chats with the guest. Now, upcoming uh, on the 16th, I have script supervisor Bruce Resnick. He's going to talk about uh, what it's like to to do continuity on a motion picture or TV. On Thursday, I've got Scott Rosenfeld. He's the uh, that's the 17th. That Scott Rosenfeld. He produced Home Alone, Mystic Pizza, Teen Wolf, and many more. He'll be talking about producing. I'm going to have Bob Frazier, who you've heard before here in Movie Beat. He's a acting mentor, the go-to guy for actors, but he also is a showrunner on a couple of television shows. And he's going to talk to you about what it means to be a showrunner on. Uh, a television series, and that's on the 22nd. Art director Larry Lundy is coming up. He'll talk to you about art direction and, and production design. And then uh, we'll, com- we'll complete part two with uh, first AD Peter Marshall on the 24th, and then uh, director photography Pete Biaggi will be on the 29th. He had the opportunity of working a couple of times with Robert Altman, and so his interview is coming up. But go there and look at all the incredible interviews and all the professionals who uh, are telling you and sharing with you secrets, insider information about how to how to work your projects more efficiently. A couple of brief announcements. Um, there's a few days left to the uh, International Toronto Film Festival. 
that closes out on the 19th. On the 17th, that's this coming Thursday in September, there's a Colorado Film Incentive Seminar and Meeting. In Louisville, uh, sorry, in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, October 1st through the 4th, uh, is the Louisville International Film Festival, so you want to keep that in mind. In the Milwaukee area, you've got uh, the Milwaukee Film Festival. Uh, that begins the 24th of September and goes until the 3rd of October. Madison Horror Fest is October 3 through 4, and uh, two days of horror, ZombieCon, October 11th, I'm sorry, October 10th and 11th, I'm emceeing. I will see you there. Come on out. Let's meet. Lots of great uh, guests and lineup uh, for both those horror festivals. So we'll look forward to seeing you there. I have opened the chat window on the website. So uh, feel free if you've got questions for my guest, uh, you'll be uh, able to uh, ask them there. And if we have time, we'll include them. With six feature films, John Keyes is one of the hardest working directors in the Southwest. John made his writing to directorial debut in 2001 with American Nightmare. This has become a cult classic. Uh, this critically acclaimed horror film followed serial killer Jane Topper on Halloween as she uh, brings to life the fears of a group of friends. Uh, you're going to want to check it out. You can go to his website or his MySpace website and, uh, and look at the, some of the trailers for his movies, and we're going to ask John to tell you a little bit about that. Uh, later on. Following the success of American Nightmare, John was hired by producer Michael Razzo to write and direct Suburban Nightmare. Um, and that, too, had top rave reviews. At the, at the about the same time, Think Film Company hired John to direct Hallow's End. And uh, it was a throwback to the 80s horror film. It, you watch eight college friends become trapped in a Halloween house. John has done a lot of horror movies. He knows the genre quite well. Roll Dallas, uh, Roll Films hired him to direct Mad Bad, and um, he's also completed Living and Dying for New Films International. It's an intense crime caper about two killers that turn the tables on a trio of robbers. Uh, it stars Edward Furlong, Michael Madsen, Arnold Vosloo, uh, Bale Ling, uh, Jordana Sapiro, and, and numerous European stars. I'm going to bring John on right now so that we can chat and get right into the interview. He's, he's a, a, a great person to have as a guest. John, are you there? I'm there. How are you doing? Oh, John, I'm doing well. And yourself? Doing good. Doing really good. John, you've done a lot of, uh, of fascinating movies. I was, I was looking at trailers earlier, and, and I think everyone should go and see them and see your movies. But um, uh, where can they go to look? There's a MySpace page, and let's just get your website out right away so that uh, uh, people have that available for themselves. Well, I'm basically, I've, you know, in, in, as being an independent filmmaker, I've got to promote myself everywhere. So I'm on Twitter, I'm on Facebook, I'm on MySpace, and then they can go to our company website, which is www.highlandmyst.net. And uh, if they go to the highlandmyst.net website, uh, there's a trailers page that has trailers for all of our movies, uh, a couple of short films on there, some promo stuff. So, you know, basically between MySpace, Facebook, and, and the Highland Mist website, they can see all of the trailers and some of the short films we've done. Awesome, awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Now, uh, you've been directing movies for a while, but before, is this correct, before you started directing movies, you, you were uh, an entertainment journalist? Yeah, it's kind of funny. I actually sort of fell into the whole into the movie industry by accident. Um, I grew up I grew up with a filmmaking family in the center, or a, a movie loving family. My my grandfather had been a, a a bit actor in the 30s and 40s in Hollywood. He used to play for the USC Trojans and then 
played professional football, and he ended up doing a lot of the uh, the old football movies there. So I, I grew up loving movies and, and grew up in the Hollywood area and uh, had wanted to be a filmmaker and, and a writer while I was growing up, and just through circumstances that sort of went away. And uh, in my late 20s, I was living, I had moved down to Fort Worth, Texas, and started working for a magazine down there. And next thing I know, I got moved into the entertainment department and was doing doing press junkets and doing interviews all over Texas, and that sort of spiraled itself out into doing uh, press junkets for publicity companies, and I was flying out to L.A. to do the press junkets, and I was covering all the big studio movies, Robert Rodriguez and Sandra Bullock and Clint Eastwood and all of their big movies down in Texas. And so suddenly I found myself in my late 20s uh, coming full circle back around into the movie industry. And, and so, I was, yeah, I was just working as an entertainment journalist, and while I was doing that, I sort of got the bug to start screenwriting. And I had written two, I was working on two different screenplays, one about a pirate radio show and one about a serial killer. And neither one of the, neither one of the scripts was feeling quite right to me. And this was just kind of, at the, at the time, I was still just doing it as a hobby. And I ended up melding the two scripts together. I took the serial killer idea and I took the pirate radio show idea and blended them together. And that ended up becoming American Nightmare. And uh, I had become friends with a variety of different uh, horror film actors throughout the whole process of doing this. And, and when I got done with American Nightmare, I sent it off to uh, Debbie Rashawn, who eventually starred in American Nightmare, and, and Brink Stevens. And I showed it to them, and they were like, you know, you keep talking about you know filmmaking, and, and this is a perfect vehicle for you to sort of take it off the ground and, and get into directing. And it was really kind of funny because I hadn't ever seriously taken it, thought about doing that. But the moment they both said it, which was within a couple of days with each other, I called up a buddy of mine. I said, hey, we're going to go make a movie. And a year later, we were in production on American Nightmare. That's amazing. That is absolutely amazing. So so um, i got to ask, uh, you on a whim write a screenplay, and then one of the actors who ends up being the star of the movie says, well, maybe you should direct this. And you go, oh, yeah, cool. I hadn't thought of that. And now <laughs> a year later, <laughs> you're directing. Um, right. <laughs> how, did, how did you? How, I mean, and and like I said, it looks really good. So how did you go from kind of not directing or not being a film student? Kind of, you know what I mean? I mean, right. Typical route that people do, and suddenly now you're directing a movie. And how did you how did you do it and make it look so good? Well, <laughs> it was funny. I I was uh, you know I when I called up uh, Rick Carey as my producing partner with Highland Mist, and uh, we had been friends for a lot of years at that point. And I called up Rick and I said, listen. You know, I want to go make a movie. I need somebody I trust uh, at my back. Do you want to go make a movie? And he said, yeah, let's go do it. So we gave ourselves, we decided that we were going to give ourselves one year from the point that we decided to do that, which was in at the end of September. Um, we gave ourselves one year to put all the financing together and to learn as much as possible. Um, and of course, like you said, you know, I didn't go to film school. Um, I had no, no background in filmmaking. And so, but what I did have was I had four years of interview experience. Having spent four years as a journalist, I had had all those years. I conducted tons, hundreds of interviews with directors all over the country. So I basically uh, went with that philosophy of, of uh, 
of learning from other people's mistakes. And so I spent a lot of time reviewing the interviews I'd done. Several of those directors I called up and said, listen, in a year I'm going to be making this movie. What advice can you give me? And so I spent a lot of time listening to them and taking their advice and learning from their mistakes. And then spent that year while we were putting putting the financing together and kind of getting things off the ground, reading and devouring every book possible on directing. Um, but for me, what I wanted to do was was approach directing organically. So I didn't go up go out and pick up all of those sort of how-to manual books. I went out and read books by filmmakers. I read Sidney Lumet's book. I read. Uh, books that are filled with interviews from John Sells and, and Tim Burton and all these different filmmakers, just trying to, to learn as much as I could. And then um, reading lots of books on acting. You know, I, I knew that walking into it, I've got a very visual mentality. I, 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 I see things very visually. So I, w- I knew how I wanted to film the movie and I knew how I wanted it to look. But, but the thing I didn't have training in or particular experience, obviously, was how to direct actors, how to, how to connect with actors and speak in a way that actors could understand what I was trying to get out of them. So I read a lot of books on acting so that I could kind of understand an actor's perspective on things and, and so that I could communicate well with them. And we just kind of spent that entire year reading and devouring everything possible and walking into the movie, I mean, it was a very, that first American Nightmare was a very low-budget movie, and it was a very, I, I like to call it our family movie, in the sense that we have a lot of very, we had a lot of very smart, intelligent, hardworking friends that were very talented in a lot of areas. Um, as an example, my art director, who's now my full-time production designer, Eric Whitney, he'd been a set carpenter on a couple of, on a James Cameron movie. He'd gone to college for art. You know, so I called Eric up and said, hey, I want to make a movie. Do you want to come out and art direct this? And he said, sure. So we had a lot of friends like that. But I knew walking into it that I wanted it to look good and sound good. Um, I didn't want it to look like some small, low-budget film. And so I went, we made sure that we went out and hired a professional director of photography with a lot of experience, who was Brad Walker. We hired a very experienced sound mixer, Brad Harper. And then we hired an experienced editor. So we knew that you know, what the audience was going to see visually and what the audience was going to hear and the way it was all edited were being done by people with a lot of experience that I could learn from as well. And so we really just tried to play it very smart and very very intelligently in how we approached it to, to create the, the best-looking movie possible and the best acted, the what, most well-told story. And, and fortunately, it all came together very well. That's awesome. Now, you mentioned some, some key positions, art director, director of photography, and uh and an editor as as the key people that you were paying to make your movie look good. Uh, but you also mentioned your friend who you said, you know, somebody to have your back, you know. So, you know, uh, in in along with these key people and, and your friend, what did you do in terms of – and, I mean, I think that's uh, just absolutely fabulous, the 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 way you went about this. I mean, it, it sounds very smart, very intelligent. Um who else? Who else would you say you rely on, or who you need, and who you trust for uh, for the movie when it came to actually shooting? You know, I, I mean, I think I relied the most on on Rick, um, and because as, as a director, you want to be able to walk onto a set and into a production and and not have to worry about any of the business side of things. Um, I mean, I know that there's a lot of filmmakers out there who are just directors. Um, I tended to because I sort of jump started my own career and created my own company with Rick. You know, I'm a writer, I'm a director, I'm a producer, I'm all of these different. I have to wear all of these different hats. 
And when you're directing, you want to be able to walk on a set and, and completely focus on your job as a director and not have to worry about, uh, you know, did craft services run out of water or is somebody running late to the set? And Rick, as a producer, was exactly what I needed because I, I as a director, I want producers that I can completely trust that I know are there to not only support my own creative vision of the movie, but I trust them impeccably with the business aspect of it. And I've worked with a lot of different producers in a lot of different capacities and stuff, and, and, and I've always appreciated the most the ones that I entirely trust to where I know I can walk on a set and start talking to the actors and talking to the, to the crew and stay focused and not have to worry about all those other things. Um, Working with Brad Walker, my director of photography, that's probably outside of the actors and after the producer, my director of photography tend to be who I rely on the most and who I communicate with the most because, um, you know, I want to spend time with the actors, but I also at the same time, I, I've got a visual idea of what I want for the movie, how I want to compose the shots, how I want the lighting to be, and I always look for directors of photography that can, that can bring that image to life. Um, so I rely heavily on that director of photography. So whenever we're getting ready to start something, we walk into a new location, we get ready to start a new scene. I'll have a I'll have a very long, very concise conversation with my with my DP about exactly what we're doing in the scene, and we'll very we'll do a run through of the scene, a very quick walk through with the actors, and 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 quickly walk walk through the lighting and the camera angles. And I rely on that director of photography to to execute all of that without, once again, just like with the producer, I like to be able to turn my back away from that and then go and focus on the actors and talk with the actors and rehearse with the actors and know that all of the camera and all the lighting is going to be is going to be done exactly the way we're hoping it to be, so that I can go and just spend time talking with the actors and working through the arc of the scene, the intention of the scene, what we're doing in the scene, and, and kind of help them get to the place they need emotionally and mentally with their characters. That's awesome. Now, I, I, I am doing an interview with the, some first ADs, and so I want to ask you about your assistant directors, too, because, I mean, uh, you're, you're uh, uh, at this point, at that point in, in your career, you were a first-time director. You, you had a, you know, a, a core of people who you trust. Uh, did you have a first AD? I mean, did you have people who were able to help you to move or to move along? If, if, did you <laughs> encounter any situations where the director had some designs and other people are saying, okay, now we need to move? Or Well, you know, it's, 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 it's kind of funny how that all worked out for me. Um, we, because the first movie was so low budget, Rick, Rick and I decided that, uh, that he was going to actually be the first AD, which showed some of our own novice nature of walking into that first movie, American Nightmare. But Rick ended up being my first AD on the first three movies, on American Nightmare, Suburban Nightmare, and Hallow's End. Um, so he was wearing the producer's hat, but I found because he was wearing the producer's hat, I was wearing the director's hat, and he was also the first AD, um, we ended up, in a sense, being very collaborative in the first AD nature. I became, as a director, very familiar with putting a schedule together and how schedule works and the timing of a schedule, and, and I think that it, it actually worked in my favor as a director to be able to know know how a schedule does and, and and be able to pay attention to I need what to get what I need out of this scene and I need to make sure I get the coverage and I need to make sure I get the performances, but also being consciously aware of the schedule and of the time and how much time we have to shoot in that day. And it was you know, just to kind of give you an idea of how novice it was, when we first started American Nightmare, the very first shot up, um, we knew that Rick, as the first AD, was going to call quiet on set, and he was going to ask, you know, you know, roll sound, roll camera. But neither of us had been 
around a set to know exactly what was going to happen. And so Rick calls quiet, and he says, you know, roll sound. And suddenly the boom operator says speed, meaning that the, the sound is rolling. Yet we didn't know anything about that. And Rick kind of glanced at me, and I glanced at Rick, and I'm like, I just kind of shrugged. So Rick said, roll camera. And then a few seconds later, the first AC said, you know, speed. And Rick kind of shrugged, and I kind of shrugged, and I yelled action just to see what happened. And, of course, everything starts rolling, and Rick comes up to me after the scene. and goes, are they supposed to do that? I said, I don't know. Let's, let's just do it again and see what happens. So we were learning trial by fire through that experience, and, and through those first three movies with, with Rick being the AD, um, it really helped me out in understanding you know, how to utilize the best time possible, particularly on short schedules. But when I got to Mad Bad, I worked with, uh, we, you know, the nature of the game sort of changed. We had a much larger crew, a much more experienced crew um, all around. And, and Joey Stewart, who was a very seasoned first AD in Texas, uh, he came on board as the first AD, and that was his sole job. And, and that was a real treat for me because Joey was the guy you know, that was his sole job, and he completely ran with the schedule, and he was, you know, all right, John, we got to get moving, all right, team, we got to keep going, and kind of, you know, was that cheerleader keeping things moving on and, and helping manage the schedule, and and uh, I got quite used to having a first AD who, who was like that, but at the same time, it was really nice from the previous experiences that all the subsequent movies with all of the different first ADs that I've worked with, you know, I rely on them heavily to to make sure that we keep going. I don't want to work a crew more hours than I have to. And, I, you know, um, I've got, they're being loyal to me, and I want to be as loyal to them and, and compassionate about their time as possible. So I'm able to communicate with the AD very quickly. And the ADs, very, you know, when they say we've got to keep moving, because of those early experiences, I know exactly what they're talking about, and, and we can very quickly keep on track. So working with the first AD is, is you know, having a professional first AD and, and having somebody who really understands how, how my mind works and what I'm going to want out of, a, out of a movie, and at the same time knowing how to juggle and manage a schedule and keep things on track um, has been fantastic. When we were doing Mad Bad the very first day up, we were shooting exteriors, and halfway through the day, uh, a huge rainstorm comes through. One of the Texas thunderstorms comes rolling through, and the camera broke. So we're day one of production. We're only six hours into production, and we've got a thunderstorm destroying the exteriors, and we've got a camera that's now broken, and that shut down production for the rest of the day. But Joey, as a first AD, was so experienced in the, in, that by day two, we were actually able to make up the rest of day one and get all the way through day two, and we didn't sacrifice anything, and that's that's the joy of having a really seasoned and experienced first AD on a movie. Wow. You, you know, you have said so much and you've shared so much just in the, in the first few minutes of this interview. Uh, I certainly appreciate it. I'm sure our listeners do as well. Uh, you mean, you had a, uh, and I just kind of want to recap in, 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 a, in, as best I can, but, uh, you know, you learned trial by fire. You, you had people that you trust. You got people that watch your back. Um, you did what a lot of guerrilla filmmakers do. You know, you wear you wear multiple hats, or or you have somebody who's wearing multiple hats. Um, so it can be done. But ultimately, you know, you you know, with a larger crew, you go to you go to where each person has their own area of expertise that you can rely on, and that helps things move along as well. But you said something that I really found uh, awesome. I mean, it, it, to me, it was a real gem, and that was you know, you you mentioned being compassionate to your crew. You know, in other words, they're supporting you, and you want to be able to work them well and not overtax them and so having somebody that can help you do that but just the fact that you thought along those lines to me is is uh 
noteworthy because so many people go, well, you know, these people are being paid or they're not being paid. You know, they're volunteers, they're friends, their family or whatever, and they work them to death. And if they're lucky, you know, they get a submarine sandwich or something out of right. it. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, so yeah, no, exactly. I mean, I've heard, I mean, as a journalist, I can tell you, you know, there were tons of horror stories when talking with, with actors, you know, from different movies where they were, you know, the movie was so low budget and the filmmakers were so unconscious of what they were doing that, you know, exactly. I mean, you know, they've worked for six hours in hot, you know, 103 degree Texas summer heat or whatever. And suddenly it comes lunchtime and literally it's peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and a bag of chips, you know, and it's, you know, I think one of the things when I was kind of starting into the filmmaking thing and doing all of my studying and everything is, I recognized that the really great filmmakers um, and the and the filmmakers who really have lasted understand the business of filmmaking. Also, you know, it's the movie business for a reason, and and I noticed that the directors who really made it were also very proficient and very aware of the business side of things. And and, and to me, part of that business thing is understanding and managing people. Um, you know, when I was getting started, people kept talking about the fact that the director is the captain of the ship, um, and and I, I I really began to understand that you know if you, even if you look at the military, if the captain it, it treats his crew well, the crew will always give the captain 150 percent, and I so found that to be true that that the more I could pay attention to the crew, what the crew was going through, thanking the crew, you know, I, I'm constantly thanking the crew. You know, particularly on indie films, they're probably working for less money than usual. They're probably working under harder circumstances for longer hours. Um, you know, but they're working for me. I'm asking them to do something, and I'm asking them to go the extra mile, and I feel that, it, that, that I owe them more than just, you know, their paycheck. I owe them some thanks, and I owe them some gratitude for the work they're doing. And a beautiful example of it was on a particular movie. We had a circumstance arise um, where something happened with the producer and it angered the crew and it 's very it was a, it was it was an example of how quickly a crew can turn against the filmmakers um, you know it was a very it was a very nasty situation and i wasn 't involved in the situation but i but I realized very quickly that we were we were about to lose our crew and i walked I went to the crew and i said and I brought all the crew together and i said listen you know we 're halfway through production we 've got a long way to go. Um, you know, I need you guys to stick with me. I will make sure that this problem gets eradicated, but I need you guys to stick with me. And the keys for each of their departments, you know, in this in our little group huddle, were like, we're going to do this for you. We're going to stick with it, with you through the rest of this production because you've treated us so well. And to me, that was the 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 epitome of the example of you know the captain guiding his crew and, and and it was an awesome experience and i was so grateful for them and it just taught me how you know how important it is to be grateful for the crew that works for you and that is that is so good and, and you know it can't be repeated enough or often enough where people can't you know um incorporate that philosophy and those practices into their working style enough um you know and it's an interesting an interesting point in 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 corporations. I mean, they did studies years ago in in early industry about you know factory workers working in a factory, and they would like turn the light up brighter, and the factory workers were more productive. And then they thought, oh well, bright light makes them more productive. And then they would try dimming the light, and then they find out that they were more productive, and so they would dim the light, and they said, oh, well, dim, dimming light made them more productive. Then they would they would raise the temperature, lower the temperature, and what they found, what they ultimately concluded was. It wasn't the changes that were made. It was the fact that changes were being made 
the workers felt that they were being attended to, that they were being paid attention, and so they, they worked harder. And to extrapolate from that, I, I, in all of the beautiful things that you said, I think that when when you can pay attention to people and you can notice when things are going well and, and congratulate and and, and uh, acknowledge and when things aren't going so well, when you can accommodate and try and problem solve for them, but that you pay attention to your career, you pay attention to the people, that there there is a rule that people tend to say yes to people that they like. And so if they like you, they're loyal, they'll stick with you. And, well, exactly. We, you know, I mean, uh, you know, uh, an example that every director or every filmmaker, producer, director, you know, any any of those people that can learn from is I was a producer on a particular project. That was my sole capacity on it. And it was a very low-budget project, and the people were getting paid easily half or more less than what they would normally get paid. And it was a very quick shoot. It was a very low-budget shoot. And we made it through the production fine. Later on, further down the road, another production similar to that came up, and, and uh, in talking with some of the crew, it was like, you know, can we get you back? And they were like, no. If the director had said thank you just once during that previous production, we would come back and do it again for that low pay. But not once did that director ever acknowledge us or thank us in any way, shape, or form for coming and doing the show for so little money. And, and I think that's a beautiful example. On the other side of it, you know, over the last couple of years, I've been doing a number of short films and different projects, different projects experimenting as a filmmaker. And I've been able to go back to my crew and go, hey, listen, we're kind of doing this thing for three or four days of filming, and it's, we're experimenting, we're doing some short films, we're trying some different stuff out. It's no budget. Can you come out? And all of them dropped what they were doing and came out. So yeah, it's it's very you know it's it's a very easy thing to do, um, but I'm I'm often shocked at how many filmmakers don't don't thank their crew or don't pay attention to the fact that the crew are working hard for them even though they're getting a paycheck. Yeah, it is amazing, and I and I certainly thank you for bringing you know our attention to it today on Movie Beat you know for our listeners, and as always these shows are archived so they can. They can hear your words again and again or, or turn on other listeners to uh, what you've said and what you've shared. Um, I'm going to take a short break here, John, and just tell people you're listening to Rex Sykes Movie Beat, and the official web address is www.rexsikes.com. We appreciate your comments and your support about blogs and articles and conversations. Feel free to email me uh, through the website. If you hear about anything coming up before I do, please contact me right away and I'll attempt to get it on the website. I'll vet it and, and try and get it up in a, in a timely fashion. Also, you can go to the website, read the blogs, look at what is upcoming in terms of the events and the schedule of, of upcoming guests, and, and go back to the archive interviews. It is my pleasure, again, to, to say that we've got Director John Keyes as a guest this the, today on, uh, on Movie Beat. Um, John, um, well, let me ask you this. And... Uh, well, who were some of your influences in, in terms of uh, growing up in the, the movie business? Who were some of the directors or, or producers or filmmakers that that, uh, that impressed you? Well, I would say, I mean, I think easily, hands down, uh, it was Alfred Hitchcock, um, without without any sort of doubt about it. Hitchcock has always been the biggest influence I've had as a filmmaker. Um, you know, kind of growing up, my family was very was very much into the the black and white movies of the 30s and 40s and so you know i spent a lot of time watching those those old black and white movies humphrey bogart and the canterville ghost and and all of these different films in the end as as growing up i didn't pay as much attention to who the filmmakers were 
as I did, just the, the, the sheer enjoyment of watching the actors work and listening to the stories. But it was when I discovered Alfred Hitchcock that I really became aware of filmmakers because his movies stood out in my mind so strongly and, and you know, they seemed a cut above everything else that I was watching that I was just I was constantly I was constantly enamored with 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 Alfred Hitchcock and I and I found myself paying attention to how he moved the camera and how he built tension and what he did with suspense and how he told a story and and the fact that even though all you know his movies are suspense thrillers story always came first and he used that story to then build suspense and tension and and so Hitchcock was definitely the biggest influence and and definitely when it came time to make that first movie make American Nightmare and, and spend that year studying um, I studied a lot of Hitchcock. I, did, I, I read and read books and interviews, and particularly the Truffaut Hitchcock book of, of Truffaut's interviews with Hitchcock. I probably read that book three or four times. So there was definitely Hitchcock was the was the definitely the biggest inspiration. Um, and then just being a you know being a kid, uh, you know I was born in '69, um, and I was you know I was a kid in the late '70s, early '80s, and I and I became completely enthralled by all the the slasher flicks that started coming out in that time period and definitely John Carpenter was a huge influence there Halloween is is easily one of my favorite movies of all time and and what he was able to do so simplistically yet so effectively um you know John Carpenter was a huge influence and I think over time since then there's lots of filmmakers um you know Tim Burton obviously Steven Spielberg John Sells um, are all you know filmmakers that have influenced me, but I've also found as a filmmaker, as my career has sort of moved on, that when I first started off, I was very I, I read everything about them, and, and you know it's easy to say, particularly with American Nightmare, there's homage to Hitchcock, there's homage to John Carpenter, and 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 I've also learned though that as a filmmaker, I need to you know the style and the vision has to be mine it has to come from my imagination and my creativity so you know they all influenced me and now i tend not to study study their movies anymore particularly when i'm getting ready to start my own movie because it now needs to be my stamp my hand my name on it and 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 it's very easy i can i can watch my own movies all the way up through Living and Dying and Fall Down Dead, the last two, and very definitely say, you know, I've, I've broken away from the homages, and now I'm, I'm seeing my stamp on these movies. Oh, that's cool. That's very excellent. And I, I think, again, it's, it's, it's noteworthy for, for uh, listeners and filmmakers, especially novice filmmakers, to pay attention to that and, uh, and to learn how to um, create their own brand, their own... Their own voice, their own look, their own, their own style. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's impossible. I don't think it's possible necessarily in the in the modern times to not be influenced, not to recognize other filmmakers' influence on a filmmaker. But if you look at the greats, if you look at the, you know, obviously Hitchcock, but or you know Carpenter, Burton, Spielberg, you know, all of these, all of these, you know, big big time directors. When you watch their movie, you know you're watching their movie. Um, they've put their own hand and their own stamp onto those movies. And, you know, you pop in a Tim Burton movie, you know you're watching a Tim Burton movie. Um, you know, you watch a Wes Craven movie, you know you're watching a Wes Craven movie. Um, and that was something that became, I became cognizant of. And I think that's true is, you know, we need to overcome, as filmmakers, we need to overcome our influences and become the storyteller. Instead of mimicking somebody else's story, we have to become our own storytellers. Do you have any recommendations, or do you have any any well, rather let me 
reword that. Do you have any uh, set rule or set uh, mindset that you have in terms of telling a story? How you, I mean, you wrote American Nightmare, and, and you're directing. Uh, so you know, and you talk about being a storyteller and telling a story. Do you have do you have a, a system for yourself that you can kind of articulate or define for the listeners? Uh, what rules or principles you follow? To it, I mean, I think to a degree, I think it shifts from movie to movie depending on what story is being told. But but I story is always my number one factor. Um, the story that I'm telling and and there's lots of movies I've seen. You know, once again, learning from other people's mistakes. I've watched a lot of movies where I really didn't care for the movie, and I look back on it, and I'm like, you know, it was visually, it was fantastic, it was stunning, it had all these great things, but what I began to recognize is, but there was no story of substance, there was nothing within the story to really kind of hook me into the characters and into and want me to move from, from point to point. So I think for me, you know, to the best of my ability as I approach each, each movie, I, I really try to focus on story. First and foremost, what story is being told? Is there, you know, is there conflict in the beginning? Do we understand who our main character is? Do we understand what that main character's conflict is going to be throughout the story and, and understand the obstacles they're going to have to overcome and, and who the antagonist is and how the, the antagonist goals are going to conflict? You know, and all those, those sort of those, those common screenwriting techniques um, that if you go and watch any, any you know, substantially great movie, you can recognize all of these things that story always came first. And so whenever I'm making a movie, that's the first thing I try to do is I really try to focus on the story and I really try to focus on the character arcs throughout that story so that everything else in the movie is built around that, um, is built around that story so that if we walk into a location, the first thing I'm not thinking of is how can I make this scene look cool? It's what are the actors going to do to draw the audience in, and then how can we show that with the lighting, with the camera, with the art direction to enhance that story, that that character story? Um, and and so that's I, I don't know if that's entirely answering your question, but that's what I'm always trying to do first and foremost is is everything, camera, lighting, sound, art, all of that comes after the character story. No, no, that is that is excellent and. And, and I'm glad you elaborated because I think uh, too often people confuse story with you know film critics who go well it'd be better if it ended this way or if it instead of it been about a postal worker it'd been about a banker. Um, well, you know, the, yeah, exactly. And I you know one of the things that I've learned as well as a filmmaker is you have to tell your story. Um, I've you know I've had some different circumstances where I tried to tell the story that I I think the audience wants instead of what my gut is telling me that I that I think is right for the story and and usually you know 99% of the time if I'm listening to my gut if I'm listening to my instincts about the story I'm going to achieve the best the best story possible and some critics are going to like it some critics aren't some audiences are going to like it some aren't and that's just the nature of the game that's a very hard lesson to learn and it's hard knocks when you read the bad reviews but you've got to stay true to your story um, American Nightmare had a, originally had a very, very different ending, completely different ending than what's in the movie. But but about halfway through the production, I was sitting there and I'm like, this ending is not going to work. It's gonna if I shoot the ending that was originally written, I'm going to be shooting a movie business ending, an ending that I think is nice and pat and is going to make the audience happy. But it's not the right ending for the story that I'm now telling and for the tone that I've created. And on the fly, Debbie Rashawn and I 
completely re- just trashed the ending, got completely rid of it from the script, and on the fly created a brand new ending. And it was a perfect example because at least within all the reviews of the movie, the way I chose to end that movie was one of the things that the critics applauded throughout. Whether they liked the movie or not, they applauded the way I chose to end that movie. And so it's very true. You've got to stick to your instincts, and you've got to, you've got to tell the story that you want to tell that's right for those characters and with an awareness that some people are going to like it and some people aren't. Uh, I would add, and you correct me if, if, if I'm off base, but I would add that your integrity or your sticking to your gut instinct isn't just any instinct. It's one that's honed through your reading and your practice and your love of movies and, and of being an audience member and your journalistic experience and having the opportunity to interview and learn. I mean, in other words, there are some people who just go, I'm doing it my way because I'm doing it my way, and, and other people have uh, a refined sense of my way based on... on Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I, no, I think you hit, you hit it right on the head because there's definitely been times where, um, you know, I I think you said it perfectly when it's there's a difference between it just being my way and it being a refined my way or a learned my way. Because um, I've had plenty of experiences throughout all of my movies where, you know, we were doing it my way, you know, and somebody else would come along with an idea you know, it's, something's not, you know, they would come to me and talk to me and go, you know, something's not ringing true to me, something's not making sense to me, something's not feeling right, you know, whatever that example might be. And and if they say that and, it's in, and there's a truth to it, an accuracy to it, I'll feel it, I'll know it in, instinctually, I'll know that they're right. And the trick has been to be willing to go, yeah, you're right, we need to pursue that, um, versus, you know, well, that's not what I wanted, so I'm not going to do it. You know, filmmaking should be collaborative. You know, there's you're you're bringing people into it for a particular reason. Um, you know, your your production designer and DP and all these key crew people, you're bringing them in. You know, not just to test technicians, but because of their own skilled creativity and talent and storytelling abilities. Um, and I think that if you're a good filmmaker, to a degree, I think that most good filmmakers you know, can recognize the value of what these other storytellers can bring to it. And it's being able to listen to them as well and know, you know, know when they're bringing, you know, know when your way can be made better by their way. (laughs) (laughs) Aptly put, aptly put. Um, Again, excellent. Now, we have, you know, about 15 minutes. I'm going to just right now, maybe about 14 minutes, but I'm going to say that this will be part one of uh, the John Keyes interviews, if if that's okay with you, we're gonna. Oh, I would love that. it. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I got I got lots of questions, and and we're just sailing through the time here, and and you've provided a, a wealth of what I call golden nuggets to to filmmakers, regardless of what their level is, I, you know, of expertise. So uh, I, I certainly want to have you back. Um, I want to I want to switch back just a little bit um, because you you did raise the money for your first film, American Nightmare, and I think. Uh, even experienced filmmakers, uh, you know, are looking for ways to raise money, and certainly the new filmmakers are are interested in that aspect of of getting their movies made. What what kinds of things did you do? How did you raise the money, if you don't mind me asking? And <laughs> well, I mean, the first thing I did is Rick and I did together on off of the first movie is we went went out and learned how to how to do a business plan. Um, you know, I, I wanted to. You know, if you're going to ask people to give you money, they need to also trust that you're going to be able to manage their money and have a have a business sense of, of how to take care of their money. 
So we went out and learned how to how to build a professional business plan. You know, with American Nightmare, um, we put our business plan together, and it, it really it was funded by family, friends, and, and acquaintances. Um, we put a package together. We broke the budget down, and, and we started taking that package out um, to as many people as possible. And we got you know a thousand dollars here and five hundred dollars there, and you know a few people actually pitched in ten thousand here and ten thousand there, but. But it was that business plan and, and taking it out all to the, to the fa- friends and family. Um, I kind of got lucky in a sense that after after we went out and raised the money for American Nightmare um, and, and through the friends and family's acquaintances, I started getting offers from other companies um, for you know a suburban nightmare. EI Cinema approached us with the financing if we would do a movie for them. Um, with Hallow's End, uh, we put the business plan together. We had the script. Um, and we started approaching um, companies at a time when companies were still, I mean, the, the industry has changed so rapidly, you know, from year to year that when we made Hallow's End, it wasn't difficult for us to take a business plan and our resume and go out to some foreign sales companies and to some domestic distributors and pitch them an idea and, and have them come back and go, yeah, we, we'd be interested in putting putting up some of the financing for it. Um, and that's kind of subsequently, you know, it, it's it's constantly, it's a, it's an ever changing uh, industry. You know, right now, right now in the industry, it's very difficult. You know, there's the the medium has changed. There's so much digital media, HD, the red. Um, there's such an influx of movies that the distributors and foreign sales companies are a little bit less less ready and willing to to put up money in advance for a movie that hasn't been shot, unless you've got a bunch of big, big name actors attached to your film. Um, you know, and so I've continuously over the years refined my business plans and and learned you know what investors like out of the business plan, what they don't like, um, and and really at the end of the day, what an investor wants out of a business plan and what an investor wants to give you money is a trust in your ability to to take care of their money. Um, you know, a lot of investors and financiers told me that a lot of times it's not about track record. It's not about whether you've made money in the past or not made money in the past. It's do I trust you? Do I like you? You, you know, I'm investing in you, not necessarily your project. Um, and that's something that I've really learned is that, that it's true, is that, that investors tend to not be investing necessarily in the project, but in the person pitching them the project. And that's something that, I, that I, I've, I've tried to infuse into the business plans and obviously in the meetings I take and in in with the people that I talk to is, is you know to let them know that I'm not a crook, <laughs> I'm somebody easy to work with, and that if you put your money into me, um, you know you're gonna you're gonna get something out of it. And, and as an example, you know we we recently did this short film called Butterscotch, uh, sort of a foray into uh, comedy for me, um, and we put this short film together. It came out fantastic, and so we're at, right now we're out packaging. Um, packaging it as a feature film and we're talking with agents and managers out in LA and we've been meeting with actors and we've got a few actors that are that are providing letters of intent and at the same time meeting with investors and throughout this whole process of this particular film you know the thing that we keep hearing over and over again is you know the actors are investing themselves in us because they like us and they believe in us and the financiers that are that we're talking to that are that are interested in bringing the financing to the table for this particular movie, 
You know, they're like what they keep saying over and over again is you've got a good business sense, you've got a good business plan, but even more so, we like you, we believe in you, and we trust you. And I think that's something that every that I try to let filmmakers know, and that other filmmakers have shared with me is 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 that you need the the fastest way to get financing is to make sure that the financer trusts, believes, and likes you. Uh, uh, fantastic that you say that. You know, you, you you kind of broke it full circle again, and brought it full circle in that in that it it is about the business, and and you uh, did your homework and you did your legwork, and uh, you know, and and you put things together, and then and then it comes back to you know, people do tend to say yes to people that they like. They won't always because there might be other extenuating circumstances. No, there's all yeah, there's always. I mean, particularly right now with the way the economy is. I mean, the last year and a half. You know, has been very difficult on independent financing with the economy the way it is, and there's a lot of there's a lot of you know a lot of people that a year and a half ago would have very quickly been financing films and investing in films, and and the you know over the last year and a half, a lot of us independent filmmakers have really had, we've been having to ride that wave of waiting for the upswing in the economy. Um, we've talked with a lot of a lot of financiers that are you know. Just wait. Just hold on a little bit longer. Just hold on a little bit longer. We need to see and feel confident that the economy has swung back up, and that's been a huge extenuating circumstances that I think has really impacted independent filmmaking over the last year and a half. But I think we're also beginning to see that break. Um, there's more and more financiers starting to come back to the table. There's more and more people that are beginning to talk, uh, talk with us, talk with you know the producers that I work with. Um, so we're seeing the upswing. There's the, the beginning of that building of confidence in the economy is coming back, and I think we've got you know several more months. Um, but over those over those next six months to a year, I think we're going to see a lot of those financiers, a lot more of those financiers coming back into the independent film arena. Oh yeah, that's that's a, a good point. Um, you. Uh, I lost my train of thought here because I'm 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 listening so well and so intently that I, I forgot <laughs> actually what I was what I was going to ask you. Um, so uh, well, just let me go back to uh, to to this. I mean, you shared you know so much about business. Um, would you talk a little bit? We 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 literally have maybe about seven minutes, and uh, okay. before that time's up, I want you to be able to talk about some of your upcoming projects. So you know, and do that. But I mean, you you you've gotten known in in the horror thriller genre. Um, for these movies like Suburban's Nightmare and Hallow's End and, and Mad Bad, and you've kind of touched on some of those in, in terms of the sequence, but 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 can you elaborate further in, in in a few minutes about how you moved from American Nightmare, you know, into Suburban Nightmare and 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 track your progress? Well, I think I I can to a degree. I mean, I, I think it just if it, in some in some circumstances it was luck being in the right place at the right time, and some of it was just you know, fortunate success. Um, American Nightmare did really well. Um, did really well for us. We ended up in in all of the genre magazines. We ended up on a lot of the covers of genre magazines. We made it to top ten lists for the year that it came out. Um, Jane Toppin, the the killer from that particular movie, um, one of the big horror film websites listed her as one of the top ten female psychos of all time. Joe Bob Briggs talked about how great her character was and being one of the best female psychos, and so we got a lot of attention from that movie, um, and Suburban Nightmare and Hallow's End came very quickly on the tells of that. Almost simultaneously, um, we started getting offers, and we started, because of the attention and the success of American Nightmare, 
we had these other companies coming to us and saying, we want you to, to do some movies for us. And, and Suburban Nightmare and Hallow's End were literally shot a month apart from each other. We wrapped on, on Suburban Nightmare, and I think six weeks later we were filming Hallow's End, um, and then editing both of those movies after Hallow's End got done, editing both of those movies at the same time. So we were out in L.A. at, at the American Film Market, and we were taking meetings with different people at the American Film Market and happened to be sitting at a table with, uh, with New Films International, and Ron Gell from, from New Films was, sit, was at the table, and, and uh, I, I, you know, we were just talking with each other, and I said, yeah, I did American Nightmare, and he goes, I loved that movie. I absolutely loved American Nightmare. We're starting a production division of our company. You need to be the first person. You need to direct our first movie. And and wow. so you know so we did you know so that's sort of how uh, living and dying and fall down dead came about was that just being in the right place at the right time but also having made enough movies that that, that fortunately people knew about and liked um, suburban nightmare you know it was really kind of crazy suburban nightmare made the film journals list of top ten movies of of, of two thousand and four um, so I kept getting good press and good 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 reviews for the movies and and but living and dying and fall down dead definitely helped elevate me to the next level because there was a lot of money, a lot more money for those productions. Um, they're a worldwide sales company. There was a lot of things involved in that. So we were, we were able to start working with named talent with the bigger, you know, Michael Madsen's and, and Edward Furlong's and David Carradine's and Udo Kier's and these actors, you know, well-known all over the world. And that definitely helped push us up into the next level. And, and you know, Warner Brothers released both of those movies theatrically overseas. HBO relate, released uh, Living and Dying, you know, here in the U.S. And and when you've got companies like that backing your movies and distributing your movies and you're working with the big-name talent, um, it definitely helps you begin continue elevating yourself as a filmmaker. And, and I'm not the, you know, I know that I'm not the filmmaker who's, who's going to suddenly go from one low-budget movie into the stratosphere of $60 million studio movies. I'm just going to take my steps as long as I'm continuing to make movies that I like and that, that I believe in. Um, you know, I'll take those slow steps up, and that's sort of how I've progressed over the years um, into living and dying and fall down dead. And then these the movies that we're trying to put together now with Butterscotch and, and a movie called Dark Heart and, and The Gathering um, and Bloodwalkers. We've got a handful, a slate of different movies. Um, that we're being able to make it higher budgets with bigger name actors and with, with higher levels of financing because we've made that slow, steady progression upward. Awesome. Awesome. And I, and we, I just want to go back and say that that Living and Dying did star Eddie Furlong and, and Bai Ling and Arnold Vuslo and Michael Madsen and Fall Down Dead did star Dominique Swain and Udo Kerr and David Carradine and, and uh, But your new ones are coming up. You said Darkheart, Bloodwalkers, Butterscotch, which was the short that you're turning uh, to a feature, and then the gathering. So, um, I want to, in the next time that we get together, which I hope is sooner rather than later, and we'll try and work those details out once we're off the air. But uh, um, give you more opportunity to talk about uh, uh, what you've done and what you will be doing. Now, you're you're fascinating, and and I'm intrigued. And I and I realized now what uh, my thought or my question was. Um, and again, it just comes from listening to you. And that is that. Nice guys can make movies. I mean, it's it's, it's it's an interesting thing. I can't tell you how many sets I'm sure you have been on, or I've been on, or other people have been on, where you know there's a tyrant or an arrogant uh, guy, and I, I think that comes from watching you know these old Hollywood movies where the director or the producers are always portrayed as as you know vultures preying on their crew and their cast, and 
and and but that there's a place. I mean, and, and it's more likely that that the nice guy is going to get the movie made. Uh, I suppose if you're you know a big enough name, you can be abusive if if that's your style. But in order to get there, um, frequently the, the people who are the nicest get there, and then they're the nicest at the top as well. So. Um, well, yeah, you know, and I and I and I do believe that. I mean, I've obviously I've encountered plenty of the tyrants as a journalist. I saw plenty of the tyrants on the sets, and and you know, if if that's what filmmaking was like, I wouldn't be interested in filmmaking. You know, and, and then on the other side of it, I've been on lots of sets where you know some of the friendliest filmmakers on you know that you'll ever meet, warm, amenable. They love their crews. They love you know the passion that they have for storytelling and the and that that passion that they have for filmmaking just flows over everybody and and that was you know I'm not a I'm not a tyrant anyways I'm not that kind of guy um so you know but they showed me that you know yeah nice guys can nice guys can make movies and you don't have to be a screamer you don't have to be yelling um to make a good movie or to get you know to to get everybody behind you in that filmmaking process absolutely um so we, we literally have maybe about a minute and a half or two minutes, and I, I want to give you the opportunity to kind of you know wrap up our conversation here and and to talk about whatever you'd like to talk about. Let's let and and also let's go back and and uh, and, and say your um, website and and things. Are you on Facebook? Did you say I am on Facebook also under John Keys. So you're John Keys on Facebook. You've got a MySpace thing, and your website is HighlandMist.net. Yeah, mist m y s t dot net. Um, there's a news section on there so people can see what's going on. Highlandmist dot net and most of the Facebook and MySpaces, but Highlandmist has got trailers for all the movies. It's got upcoming news. It's got some short films. I directed a, a short film called Angela's Body about uh, postpartum psychosis um, that ended up being an Academy Award short film finalist. Um, we're trying to develop that into a feature film right now. Uh, looking for the financing on that. Um, I've been doing a lot of screenwriting. I wrote a screenplay called The Assassination Game. They got sold to Bigfoot Entertainment, and they're going to be going on to, into production on it, I believe, in May, but sometime in the middle of 2010. Um, you know, we've got, like I said, we've got The Gathering. We've got Dark Heart that we're, all, we're out trying to put the financing for. Uh, Bloodwalkers, high concept, vampire films. So there's a lot of a lot of different things going on. Um, Butterscotch, the short film, just got accepted into the Fort Lauderdale Film Festival. Um, Butterscotchfilm.com is the website for the short film. Um, and hopefully in the next month or so, we'll have some announcements going on about the cast that is attaching itself to that. So lots of stuff going on. People can check it out. I'm constantly updating Facebook and Twitter and MySpace and, and the HighlandMist.net website uh, with all the news and all the upcoming stuff. Awesome. Well, I want to thank you for being a guest here today on Movie Beat. We're going to have you back. We're going to take, make that arrangement, and then we'll announce it to our listeners. And uh, But I so appreciate you sharing your thoughts, your philosophies, and yourself today. Um, and I, I look forward to the next time we chat. Well, I look forward to it. Really, I really enjoyed today, and I'd love to come back and, and talk some more. And you will. <laughs> great. No, I look All forward right. to it. Thanks. <laughs> thank you so much, and have a great rest of the day. Thanks. You too, Rex. I appreciate it. Now, that was Mr. John Keyes. I want to thank him again for, for providing all the insider in, information to you, the listeners. I want to keep, I want to keep you guys uh, – what I want to say to you is I want to, I want to make sure that uh, you uh, go to the website and see the archived interviews. Be sure to share the interviews with uh, your friends and your colleagues. And also, if you have questions about our guests, feel free to email those questions to me through our website, through my website at rexsykes.com. 
And then the next time the guest is on the air, I can ask those questions if you weren't able to get through on the chat room or for some reason. Uh, go back and look at all the upcoming events and all the upcoming interviews. And, uh, again, thanks for uh, staying tuned to Movie Beat. Thank you for your feedback. Thank you for the letters. And uh, remember, you can be a, a guest of Rex Sykes Movie Beat on Facebook, too, by clicking on that group link on my profile, which is Rex Sykes. Uh, and, uh, and feel free to share on LinkedIn and Twitter. I, I love it when you share it, and I love it when I hear from you. So uh, enjoy your day. Thanks so much. Get your movies made and, uh, and incorporate some of the philosophies and, and some of the ideas and some of the suggestions from our guests whenever you're able to. And, uh, and complete your project. So until we meet the next time, that is a wrap.